Hello everyone, how you doing? This is Aaron Maurer here with another episode of Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. Today I get to speak with John Spencer, the author of Launch and Empower, along with AJ Giuliani. And in this episode, we're going to break down the design thinking, trying to better understand how it can work in your classroom, in your makerspace, in your learning space, in your school, whatever your role or job or, or group of kids that you work with, how do we actually make it work? And why should we be thinking about design thinking and using the launch cycle as a framework in this kid-friendly language to help students have a structure to being not just problem solvers, but a next generation of students who also know how to ask really good questions. As we dive into this conversation, make sure that you check out some of the global projects at the time of this recording. We have our Sea Turtle Sustainable Development Goal Project. We also have our Quality Education Sustainable Development Goal Global Project, which we're working with schools from all over the world. And more importantly, as you're listening to this and you like this episode, please share. Share it on social media. Please give me some reviews. I know everybody asks. It's a pain in the butt, but it is helpful to get the message and the show out there so more people can hear it and be aware of it. More importantly, in the show notes, I've got tons of graphics. I've got the links to everything that he talks about, his website and his book and the launch website and everything else. And I also have the Flipgrid. It's a space for us to ask questions, share our thoughts, give our own ideas and examples of things that we're doing. So I'm looking forward to someone being brave enough to step forward and be the first to share that video on Flipgrid. All right, my friends, let's get into the episode with John. Spencer. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Here we go. Woke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs. Talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Aaron Mauer, outside the box thinker, here to teach each and every teacher how to tinker. Living on the edge of chaos, born insane. Listening to coffee chugs like caffeine for the brain. One of the top teachers in Iowa, word is born. Here to show the world that there's more here than corn. Chaos. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? This is Aaron Maurer back with another episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. I am honored to have the opportunity to speak with this educator and author and video creator. And he just has a whole lot of adjectives that go next to his name that um, he has helped me craft my own kind of philosophy of, of education and using all his work has really helped me, I think, become a better educator. And so... Um, I want to jump right into the conversation here with, with with John Spencer. And so, John, if you could, if you could just start off and just introduce who you are and uh, what you do. All right. So I'm John, obviously, um, and I taught middle school for 12 years um, in a low-income Title I school in Phoenix. And then um, for the last four years, I have been at the university level um, in Oregon. And so I love to make resources, uh, like Aaron said, I like to, you know, do videos and podcasts and, and, uh, blog posts and books and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. And I know you've got, you've got all sorts of amazing resources that have helped so many educators. And, and the one that I want to start with is, uh, one of your books, uh, launched that you wrote with AJ Giuliani. And I think many people listening are going to be very familiar with your book, but, uh, for those that are listening in that 
maybe aren't aware of you or your work, which they need to be after this, after listening to this, um, could you kind of give just a, a very quick, I know you've probably done this 18 million times in your, in, in your life, um, of what the launch cycle is. So we, we have some, some, some context for some of the, the conversation we're going to have. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Um, so the background of the launch cycle is, um, you know, both AJ Giuliani and I were, um, classroom teachers and uh, we knew each other kind of on the fringes a little bit because we'd done some genius, genius hour stuff um, when that was kind of brand new. Um, and we were both doing uh, design thinking in different ways. Um, and and uh, we had both looked at different models and um, borrowed pieces from you know, Stanford's model and from Harvard's model and IDEO and, and stuff like that. Um, and we basically, you know, said that there were some things that we wanted um, explicitly uh, in our classroom as we refined and iterated and, and changed things. And, um, you know, our contexts were so different. You know, his was, um, you know, a middle to middle, upper middle uh, income suburb and mine was low income inner city and stuff like that. But um, despite our contextual differences, we had found that there was a lot of success that we'd had with design thinking. Um, and so we decided to... Um, some pieces to it. Um, we we uh, explicitly added an inquiry piece. Um, we um, really focused on making sure that there was a launch and a clarified launch at the very end. Um, and so we, we, you know, we began to develop this process. And then, you know, the acronym came later. <laughs> That's the funny part. At the very end, we were like, you know, because this is all about the launch. Could we look at what it is and make that the acronym? And so, um, at that point we did that and, um, you know, the background there is I, I just cringed a little bit cause I'm not a, <laughs> I'm not an acronym person. Sure. Um, but I know that it is helpful for people. Um, and so I'll just explain what the acronym is. Yeah. Uh, the beginning is look, listen, and learn. So that's the L, uh, and that's your, you're starting with a sense of awareness. Um, and there's a lot of starting places there. And at some point that awareness should have that component of empathy. Um, from there, you move into the A of asking tons of questions. And the goal there is to just tap into student curiosity, really focus on that inquiry process, um, get them excited about what they're curious about, what they wonder about connecting to you know, that initial place of awareness. Um, and then that's going to lead into um, you, which is the understanding. And, and the understanding is where they gain that deeper background information. Um, and, and that's, you can think of that as a research phase. Um, but when I say research, it's a broader, it's broader than just research. It's also conversation. It's also anything that's, that's expanding their understanding of the process or problem that they're going to need for their design. Um, and so, um, you know, in this, this place of, of research, of understanding, that leads into the end where they navigate ideas. And navigating ideas involves, um, you know, your initial brainstorm, um, clarifying the ideas, narrowing down the idea, um, and then coming up with your product concept. Um, and, and often there will be, you know, an, an annotated sketch or a product plan or something like that that they put together. Um, they clarify who the audience is. They might, in this case, uh, come up with the roles. 
um, do a little bit of project management, you know, where they're narrowing down tasks. Um, but this is where they're really coming up with their concept for their product. So they're navigating those ideas. And at the very end, they take that concept and they begin to create a prototype. So again, the L is look, listen, and learn. The A is ask tons of questions. The U is understanding. In they're navigating ideas. And then the C, they're creating. Uh, and in this creating the prototype phase, um, the goal is to get them to just begin making. And um, when I say making, it can be a lot of things. It could be a digital product. It could be a service that they're doing. Um, or it could be something like a, you know, a hands-on product, what we often think of when we hear the word prototype. Um, as they do that, they move into highlight and fix, and this is where they're you know, highlighting what's working, fixing what's failing, um, and that's sort of the revision phase. And ultimately, that leads to the final piece, which is the launch, and that's where they're going to launch it to an authentic audience. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's the launch process. Yeah, I love it, and and there's so many things that um, – thank you for, for explaining all that because I think it's so helpful for those that are new to it and probably even those that are familiar with it just to kind of, you know, uh, hear it from uh, one of the creators itself. And so one of the things – I'm using it right now in a project that I know that, that I've shared with you is um, – and, and one of the things that I think comes up is um, – and you touched on it a little bit, but I like to dive into it a little bit deeper is uh, whether we're talking about making or in that phase of prototype – I think a lot of times um, I see two things happen. One, a teacher goes, well, I can't use this because what I'm trying to do with my standards in my classroom doesn't require cardboard and duct tape. You know, there's kind of that misconception with those words, I think, when we hear prototype or making, that it always has to be this fabrication. And so um, can you talk just a little bit more about that? Because I think it's really important that even though there are lots of opportunities for hands-on learning, they it can take many examples and I know on your websites and your resources, you guys give so many project ideas that, that, that give exemplars of this, but I think it's important to clarify for those going, well, that doesn't fit my class when in every sense of the case, like the launch cycle can fit any subject area. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll say this, like I am, I started out as a social studies teacher and we use this launch process, um, in our documentaries, um, we used the, the process for creating blogs, um, for doing podcasts. Um, we used it for, um, you know, our service learning pro, uh, program. And so they would uh, explore an issue in the community. Um, they, they would go through that whole process and then have to advocate for some kind of a solution. Um, and that would attach to um, their, their hands-on you know, service learning that they would do. And so it, it didn't look at all like duct tape and cardboard. It looked like, um, you know, a, a community initiative or it looked like um, community service um, and then and then some kind of solution within it. Um, you know, one of my favorite examples, and I, I've said this before, was, um, you know, in the end, what they launched was actually a proposal uh, and they, they were dealing with the graffiti problem at our school. And, you know, we had this shark tank style um, committee of, of, of judges basically looking at the different proposals and they had to, you know, create a website and um, a video and then a pitch, right. And they had to pitch it to the, to the groups. And um, the winning one was a mural project. And, and we ended up painting, painting, I think 
eight murals over the next three years. And we used, again, the launch process for each mural project. But the initial concept was was a design thinking uh, project. And it was v- very much rooted in, you know, uh, service learning and community and um, and building empathy in the community. So, so, you know, in those cases, I would say it looked really far, far different than the, 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 the sort of STEM type stuff that you think of. Um, and in fact, I would say like in my last three years in the classroom, I taught STEM and I taught journalism and I used the, the launch process for both. And yeah, well, in, in the STEM class, it did look a lot like what you imagine, right? You know, the cardboard and the duct tape and the, the, the material strewn all over the place. But in our, our uh, journalism class, it looked a lot more like digital composition and, and interviews and things like that. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. I just think it's it's something that's that's important for anybody listening in, you know, because I think there is so much. I mean, I love STEM, I love makerspace, like that is my wheelhouse. And so I think sometimes when we when we hear these terms, we we automatically assume it's that. And there's and there's lots of people that maybe don't consider themselves a maker or a creator. Even though all these worlds can collide in in, in harmony, but it doesn't always mean that every time we're creating it has to be you know this cardboard hot glue you know circuit type project so you know I remember, <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, hot glue yeah yeah <laughs> you know so so maybe to kind of follow well, along oh is, go ahead this is yeah. what i'll say about that too like uh sorry to like interrupt no you're here, fine you're fine but like you know one of the things i loved is that i mean my class was one space right and so we they they alternated and it wasn't like half day, half day. It was, it had to be fast. So it was like, you know, one class period was the STEM group. And then the next class period was the, the, um, the, the journalism side. And, you know, initially I was very much about like, let, let's clean up all of this and change it, clean it up. And then finally it began to be like, we're just going to have the space be a truly shared space. And it, and it became kind of a cool area of, um, stuff bleeding into each other right so suddenly the the kids in the stem class were using the studio elements that we had from our journalism class to videotape things and edit them and change them and suddenly there were materials from the stem class that the 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 kids in in the journalism class were like well wait a second we've got you know you guys are doing all this stuff with whiteboards and sticky notes and, and all and they're like that's that's perfect for explaining an idea in journalism. So it was really cool to see like the bleed in between those two worlds yeah. in the same kind of space. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's when the magic starts to happen, when the kids are able to start to see the connections, whether it's materials or concepts or just the thinking that goes into creating solutions or identifying problems like, oh my gosh, like this this, this runs in all subject areas. And I think that's when the real magic of, 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 a, of a school day can really start to come alive for a lot of kids. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure you see that. Like, I mean, you mentioned you're all about the STEM and the makerspace, but like, I'm sure you've experienced times where you know, it's called STEM, but there's these components from, you know, language arts and social studies that are just an extension of what, what you're already doing, right? Yeah, well, 100%. I know one of the things that I, that I love to do is we, we'll go through, and whether it's a workshop or just conversations working with schools, we'll, we'll kind of create this definition of what is a makerspace. And, you know, and they'll come up with this really, really innovative 
crafty definition of what a makerspace is and continue to do the work and then you know when, when the time presents itself i'm always like okay so let's go back to this definition of makerspace and shouldn't that be the definition of a classroom like this whole idea like it doesn't have to be <laughs> just in the library it doesn't have to be just in that classroom down the hall that kids get access to 20 minutes one day a week like this is about like culture like this is like all of this should be all day, every day, you know, and it's going to look and feel different, obviously, in, in the context of what the learning is for the day. But, like, it shouldn't be some, like, isolated room that feels different from the rest of the school. Like, you have you have a culture problem at that point, you know. And sometimes that, that that's where people start. Like, that it's, it's better than nothing. But we want it to achieve this, this whole concept where, like, it feels this way all day long. Oh, yeah. I remember visiting a place, and it was so cool, um, you know, because they – they were they were talking about their makerspace and how you know the goal of the school was to really incorporate this idea through the whole thing, uh, and then it was interesting to hear the students talk about it and they kept talking about how they felt like there's time and there's space to and and there's like a breathable room to to create and and it was like that moment of realizing like you know a makerspace is, is all about creating a space for makers, right? And some of that is physical space, but it's also like having the space in your curriculum, having the space in your permission and in your rules and in your, you know, culture. Like, it, it's, like we tend to think of it as very tactile and physical, but it's, it's the space all around, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a feel to it where... If you don't have that, I mean, you can have, obviously there's, there's always creative constraints with budget and materials, but sometimes those things are good. But what you don't want to have are the constraints where a kids don't feel like the mental space or the safety to be vulnerable to embrace ideas that they're thinking because everybody has ideas that come and go. Some are better than others and some are just genius and you don't always always know why they, they hit you. You know, it's kind of like when you wake up at two in the morning and you have this phenomenal <laughs> yeah. idea and you're like, please don't forget. But like having these, these, these spaces where kids feel comfortable to, to bring those to light. And I think that's really important. Like you can have yeah. a million dollar budget, but the conditions aren't there. Like those tools aren't going to take you to where you want kids to go. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and so as you know, as uh, I, I, I could talk learning space and all that stuff all day long, but like, I think one of the things <laughs> Sorry, that I gotta no, no, it's perfect because I think what the launch cycle does. And I was just I was just into three day project based learning training with, with, with a school with uh, PBL Works, and I was using the launch cycle for when you design projects um, with PBL Works. One of the elements of their gold standards is sustained inquiry, and so I was showing people how you could use the launch cycle to sustain inquiry within your project. You know, so you can use this as a way to kind of structure your day, structure your lesson plans to make sure that kids mm-hmm. want to keep coming back to the learning. Um, and kind of, kind of two things that came of that. And so, uh, I, and I'm sure between all the work that you've done, and you're using obviously your own work, and probably hearing tons of stories, is like two things that 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 came up in conversation um, that I, I, it was very important that we like clarified. One, like with the cycle itself. The idea being like, it's not a lock step, right? Like, it's not like we all do this step. Now we're done with this step. We move on to step two. And I think sometimes helping people, I know the graphic, the, the wonderful circle has as we kind of go through it. It's, it's kind of like Mitch Resnick's uh, The Learning Spiral. But could you talk a little bit about mm-hmm. that? Because I think I know 
that's not the intention, but sometimes people see these graphics and they're trying to get started and they're a little unsure. So they go, okay, we're, we're going to look, we're going to, we're going to get the empathy. Okay. Check. You know, now we're going to ask questions. Check. Now we're going to understand the problem. Yeah. And even though there, there is a, there is a system to it. There is a bit of a structure, but it doesn't mean you can't bounce back and forth depending on where your learning goes. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that would be my, you know, one, a couple things I want to clarify on that, on that piece, the, the time and the phases and things is, you know, like, um, one of the things we like, we, AJ and I wrestled a little bit with what to call it. Like the first stage, second stage, first phase, second phase, um, component, you know, um, and we landed on phase because I think, I think a phase is a little fuzzier than a, than a stage. Yeah. And, and what I mean is things bleed into each other, right? Um, you know, this phase in my life, that phase in my life, and those pieces will sometimes bleed into it. Whereas a stage is a definite, you know, this is done. You're on that. This is done. You're in that, you know, act one, act two, act three kind of thing. Um, and so a, a couple things I want to clarify there. Um, the first one is, and I know you didn't ask this, but uh, it's important to remember that when they're going through a, a process like this, um, it's about it's about a fidelity to the thinking, not a fidelity to the process, right? Mm. So ultimately, if, you know, like people have said, you know, do, do we assess how well they're doing with the launch process? And I would say, no, it, it, it is a process, you know. Um, it, it's, it, it, it's about what they're creating. It's about what they're thinking. It's about, um, you know, those key soft skills that they're developing. And in some cases, if they rush through a particular part because they don't need that particular part as much, that's okay. Mm. Um, and with that comes this idea that sometimes groups or individuals are going to be at different phases than other groups, right? So it's not lockstep as a class at all. You might have, you know, often the look, listen, and learn, the setting the tone is going to be the same for everyone. But the, the asking tons of questions is going to be, you know, longer for some groups, shorter for other groups, and so on and so forth. So that's one thing I would say is, they're going to be at different phases at different times. The other thing that I'll say is um, absolutely you go back. Often you go back to the previous one, but sometimes you go back even earlier. So um, what I mean is this. Um, if you're just doing a, I'll, I'll give a, a, a small example. You're doing a, a collaborative project and let's say this one is a little more STEM focused. When they're asking tons of questions, they're generating a lot of questions and that's great. Um, and, and then that leads into the, the research that they're going to do and the understanding part. When that happens, they need to narrow down their questions. So I, I think it's really important. I always say we don't, we do not judge questions when you're generating questions, right? So there's no, Oh, it's off topic. It's not good enough. That kind of stuff. You only, quote judge questions when you've moved into a phase and you look at all the questions you have so at that phase you're doing research and you're saying you know is it specific is it on topic whatever and you're using those questions to drive your research 
Well, when you move into navigating ideas, you have a bunch of questions that you generated that were um, like criteria or, or process or material type questions that are going to be critical for navigating ideas. And so you're actually going to go back to something that you did before and you're going to be asking questions during the, the ideation phase. Like your students are going to be asking, uh, who is this for? How is it going to work? What do I do? They're, and that's totally fine. They're going to be clarifying that. And a lot of those questions they had before, you know, in that sense, you're going back to a previous phase and, and you're borrowing these ideas, these questions from that previous phase in what you're doing now. So, you know, I think it's, it's really important to, to realize that even when it's a phase or it's a, it's a part of that process, you're still going back to previous ones. The, the final thing that I'll say about that is it is really common to have a group hit a wall and have to go back to something earlier because that's a part of the iterative process too. And so that, that would be the other piece is by all means, if you were working on um, a prototype and you're realizing it's just not working, you might need to navigate ideas or you might need to do some more research and that's totally fine too. Yeah. So as you're talking about that and going back a step or two steps, like it makes sense to me, like I'm trying to build a project here right now in my like little nerd lab at home and I've keep going back to step one because I keep realizing I'm not quite ready. I don't have the skills needed. Yeah. But I'm thinking about the classroom. I'm thinking about um, society. I guess we can even say millennials. Uh, a friend of mine, We were, I was I was letting her know that I, I was having an opportunity to speak with you. And we, we were talking about, there was this video by Simon Sinek from, I don't know, like 2016 where he's talking about the issue with millennials, how like instant gratification and we can binge, we can get whatever we want right now and the trophies, all these things that we hear about them. And I'm not here to put millennials yeah. down, but this idea of like, like we do live in a society where instant gratification, like we all want it. You know, we want the likes on the social media yeah, we you know we can just go buy something and Amazon delivers it tomorrow. Like, I think it's more than just a millennial thing. Like, I like, I right. I'm part of that. So we have that going, and you're talking about going back in these in these steps, and and I'm with you 100 percent on that. But like, how how do we also, or what have you seen, or or suggestions to the idea like, but helping kids not give up because they see it as failure because just because we have to go back a step or two in this in the in, in you know within these phases because uh, maybe we didn't write we didn't ask the right question or our research leads us to ask a different question that we're more interested in how do you what have you oh, seen yeah. you know how do we what do you see people do or tips or ideas because i think that's a really hard thing to navigate when a kid gets moving and all of a sudden mm -hmm. they're like oh i have to go back a step because they've also been conditioned yeah. through through school, through the systems, not necessarily teachers, of going, I'm wrong and I'm a failure, and that's not yeah. what it is. Like that, this is just called learning. And um, I know sometimes everybody likes to talk about failure. It kind of gets to me like a, a taboo word for me. It's like it's, we we just learn. Like I go down this path, and I realize either I'm on track or I have to like steer a different direction. You know, um, so yeah. It's, I'm kind of all over the place with that concept, but but I'm really fascinated about what you what you've seen or tips or ideas for a teacher that maybe is new to using this system, trying to help kids navigate that it's okay, like it's not a big deal if we have to go back, like this is just what we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think you know there's a few few different 
um, things. One would be, I was lucky in my classroom in the fact that so many of my students um, had an amazing amount of resiliency. Um, I think there's like a hit there. There's a hidden strength to students um, in poverty. There's a hidden strength of students um, who are immigrants and have had to come to a new country and learn a new language and fail forward. That that is um, that is just it's a beautiful thing that I don't think gets acknowledged in our country enough. And so I was pretty lucky in that respect. That being said, I definitely had issues with, um, often it would be sort of your high achievers who didn't want to revise, who didn't want to mess up, who who really had a hard time with failure. Um, and so, you know, I think of a, a few different things. One one of them is um, I always use the, the, the reframing of failure for students that, you know, it's not failure, it's failing, right? So failure is permanent. Failing is a temporary setback. It's, it's, it's a part of the process. So a product is failing. It doesn't mean you are a failure. It doesn't even mean your product is a failure. Um, and so we would explore some bad prototypes, old Apple iPhone prototypes that they never released <laughs> early on. Or, you know, um, I would tell them about like initial Pixar movies and how awful they were as a core concept before they iterated and improved. So I think that makes a big difference. And, you know, I know people say, oh, we want kids to embrace failure. It's not failure. It's it's failing and failing forward. Like if you're if you're embracing failure, then you're the Cleveland Browns. Right. I mean, you're you're, you're bad. You're the L.A. Raiders or Oakland Raiders or Las, Las Vegas Raiders, wherever they are right now. Um, I actually do know where they are. But, uh, like, so there's such a transient football thing, but, um, you know, I, so I just think of like a part of it is reframing it. A part of it is giving them the time to revise. A part of it is making sure that your grading system is something like mastery based and standard based so that they're not getting punished for making a mistake. Um, you know, I think all of those components are critical uh, and then the other piece, though, that I'll say, and I, I know I, I did a, a blog post on this recently, I did a, a little sketch video on this as well, is kind of the spectrum of what, what do you do with um, if, with a truly failed project? And sometimes you don't launch it, and sometimes you combine it with a new idea, and sometimes, um, and that little spectrum of like, that I created the little um, visual and video um, is not something I ever did when I was in the middle school classroom, but it's actually something I've used um, with projects at, at the university level and with, with uh, pre-service teachers and to, and to think about lesson plans, you know, failed lesson plans. And the, the whole idea of like, what do you do? What do you do with it? Um, because that's the other piece that, that I'll, I'll add to it is, yeah, you know, I never had, every student have a launch worthy project on every single project, right? There were, there was always one or two groups, but my goal was at least once a quarter, I wanted them to have something they could be truly proud of that they would send to an authentic audience. Um, And so that would be the, 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 I guess the final piece is sometimes in the end it doesn't work and 
that I think is a valuable learning experience as well. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I think it's anytime you uh, make yourself vulnerable to an authentic audience or try to develop that solution is we, we all run the risk of maybe this idea doesn't work. And it reminds me of uh, actually Seth Godin's latest podcast. He, he kind of revisited his Stop Stealing Dreams um, TED Talk where he talked about the interesting problem and coming back to the idea that like, interesting problems don't necessarily have a right answer like you might come up with a solution that works today but that might there might be a better solution tomorrow like so there's never this kind of quote-unquote right answer and i just think that's something that's yeah. uh, you know has, has really resonated with me this last week or two when i listened to that podcast last week i'm like all right so how do we create these really interesting problems where kids realize we could we could do this first quarter and then maybe by fourth quarter look at it and go oh my gosh there's this latest greatest technology and things have shifted all of a sudden now we have even a better idea you know and so I think there's 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 a lot of truth and, and power if, to help kids understand that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know and so I, I want to be respectful of your time because I know you're you're a busy guy but there's uh, I have one more question if you have time for it. Yeah. Sure. Um and so. You've been you've been obviously knee deep in this work for a long time. You you work with all sorts of people, and so one of the questions I have is, I mean, the book is phenomenal. It lays things out. the The website and all the resources you provide. There's everything there for anyone to get started to kind of figure out how to make all this stuff work. It's it's really a, a phenomenal resource and structure that you guys have put together to make things helpful. Um, but as you have heard stories and seen your work be implemented in, in various schools and situations. What are some of the, I guess, I don't know what you want to call them. I'm going to call them unwritten rules or ideas that maybe are really important that necessarily like aren't in the book, you know, or maybe uh, aren't in the resource guides that as you have seen the ideas being used, you're going, that's really important to note, you know, because obviously you can't capture everything in a book, but as people have started yeah. to use it, you're like, Oh man, that that is really important. So I don't know if the, if there are any, but some of those things that that are kind of unwritten that I don't want. It's not an assumption because that's not really a fair thing to say. But you know those things no. are just like keep this yeah. in, keep this in mind when you go to do this because it's gonna you know make life b- better for everybody. So I think I think um, we didn't do a good job in the book of getting into getting stakeholders behind it or even, you know, collaborating with colleagues on this. And I think that that makes a huge difference. Um, we didn't really get into, we assumed sort of the best in teachers, which, which is my MO. Um, but we really assumed that you've got a positive classroom culture. So I don't think it works without a positive classroom culture. Mm. So I would, I would say like there has to be the right classroom culture. Um, I would also add, like, I've tried to fill in the gaps through my blog, right? So we really didn't get into, because it was a more global audience, we didn't get into, you know, how you align it to the standards. But I have a blog post on that. Or um, I got lots of questions about how do you, um, how do you make this work in groups? And so, like, I've done a lot of um, blog posts. I did a whole blog series and things like that on um, building uh, interdependency into group collaboration. Like how do we make group collaboration work? Mm. So I've tried to kind of fill in those different gaps um, because I do think for it to work, there has to be the right culture. There has to be trust. Mm. 
um, you do need some structures. It can't be a free for all. Like you do need some structures and then those structures need to build a sense of interdependency between group members. Um, and so I think those would be sort of the unwritten rules, the, the pieces, um, that, that we really didn't explore in the book that I look at and say, yeah, I've tried to, I, I guess, amplify it a bit or clarify it through just blogging and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and you, um, do, and, and you do a act- phenomenal job with that, by the way. For those that don't know of your work, holy cow, you need to get his, get your work in there because you, your dude. videos and your blogs are it's 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 real talk. It's authentic. The videos, obviously, with your own artistic little edge there, you know, makes it very helpful. And so, uh, not to cut you off there, but I do want to say for those that are listening, going, I want to learn more. Like, you know, you both of you have done great follow-up support through all your your social media your blogs and your webs all the things that you do to help people kind of fill in those gaps so for those listening that have questions it's probably been answered somewhere <laughs> you know in in the work that you've done since then so thank you i appreciate it and i've tried to put all those onto like i have a a, a launch um you know like like a getting started with design thinking page where i have like try to lay those out a little more systematically and link to different posts and stuff like that. But you know, the other thing that I'll, I'll say is I love hearing stories of what people are doing because you know, it's such a reminder of like, you know, we all have different strengths and weaknesses as teachers. And so I, 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 to me, it is so fun to watch someone use this process and use it better than I did. Mm-hmm. You know, like there are some, phenomenal teachers doing amazing things and um and that to me is like one of my, one, one of the one of the highlights is is being able to like um hear the stories or read an email or in in some cases i've been able to like you know visit a space where where, where it's happening and to look at it and go you know this this teacher is doing this so well you know and this teacher is doing it in a way that's not just different than me, but honestly, I go like that. Was, you're doing it better than I did. Like you're, this is pretty awesome. That's yeah, and I think you know what you said there is is so spot on. I mean, one, it it always feels good to to see the work, and then it always makes you feel even better when someone has taken it and then takes it to that next level. And I think I think that that that's a really important reminder for all of us in education. Um, of, of why we need to continue to share our work and our journeys and our, and our resources. And I know everybody, there's lots of opinions on that, but like, it's important that we do share and we don't necessarily have to have a platform such as yours or have a book published. I mean, we never know how our ideas might be just the thing that some teacher needs that can turn out to have an impact on all their students. And so I, I just want to echo that, like, regardless of, you know, what we think about our ideas. I mean, that's one of the things that I try to do is I just constantly share. Like, and if, if one person benefits, then it was worth the time to put it together. Um, you know, and so I think, I think that, that that's, that's just an important lesson for anybody, you know, just we're all in this together, you know, and that, that's how, how we can like strengthen mm-hmm. our own, own skills and our own networks and, and our own confidence too, because I think one of the best pieces of, of feedback and gratitude is when somebody you don't know, uses your stuff <laughs> you know like i think that's like yeah. the best form of like oh man, man maybe that wasn't so bad after all <laughs> yeah no it's so it is so fun yeah 
And so um, I, I want to be, like I said earlier, respectful of your time. And so this has been a absolutely phenomenal conversation. I, I'm, I'm so honored to have the chance to uh, speak with you today and, and, and kind of tap into your, your, your genius and all the things that you've got going on. And I'll be sure to link links to the book and to your website and things like that. But if there's any other links that you want me or people to track you down or and follow your journey, um, are there, are there any things that you want specifically uh, listed there? We'll make sure we get it in, in the show notes for the listeners. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much uh, for your time here. And um, this is just going to be so helpful to uh, so many educators that are going to have a chance to listen to this. So um, I, I really appreciate it. <laughs>